In this episode, we're continuing our conversation with the Cultural Curriculum Collective. Should students be compensated for their contributions? Continuing our conversation. Let's commence. This is bad. All right, let's go. This is a good segue into the Cultural Curriculum Collective, which we're all involved in. And this idea of understanding, recognizing, honoring uh, different cultures in the classroom and how students come to us from all sorts of different backgrounds and spaces. And what may look like disengagement to us because of who we are is actually maybe a sign of something else, right? And I think that's a lot of the work that we do and that we're engaged in is trying to figure out what that something else is and what are our best tools and strategies for not just addressing it, but making sure that it is welcomed in the classroom and recognized as a legitimate way of going about learning. And, and spe- especially if they are in fact disengaged because that's what they've been socialized to be in a classroom, how do we how do we confront that and how do we start to well i guess we got to reconcile it first but then you know how how do we move forward from that and and make the classroom a more welcoming space and so maybe if one of you want to talk about your experiences in the collective and what you would like to see throughout this process that we're engaged in as folks think about how they want to respond to that would you mm-hmm. mind giving a little bit of what the collective is and why you created and angela you're you're helping to lead it too so maybe sean if you could give a little context and angela kind of bounce off that too yeah sure so um the idea for the collective really came to us from long beach city college where they did this kind of before we did and i think that they um started their project in response to what they were noticing about their disproportionately impacted student populations and how well or not well they were succeeding in their classes And so we kind of took a page from them and we really have a a strong, dynamic, diverse group of faculty from throughout our college. And we're walking them through a series of self-exploration activities that range from looking at their data and setting goals to um, changing classroom assignments, syllabi, classroom assignments, to help center the student and engage in a way that allows students to see themselves in their coursework. So I think that part of the reason I'm so passionate about this project is clearly we have faculty here who are really committed to this work, but we've heard from our colleagues in other areas like STEM and math that doing the work of engaging students and bringing culture and diversity into their classroom space is a little bit more challenging. Not that they're not committed to it, but that they don't know necessarily how to do it. And so we called it a collective because it really is us just sharing with each other. So talking about what we already do, I've gotten so many great ideas already, not only from this podcast, but from that experience where we get to just tell each other, oh, I tried this and it worked well. And so as the courses and programs chair, that one of the spaces where that started was what does the course outline of record tell us to teach? And it's not a very dynamic document. It's, it, it is a, a piece of paper that is very prescriptive um, about what content will be communicated and what types of assignments you're invited to like think about using in your classroom space. So we started there because we didn't want to make it seem like there is no space or no room for language in a course outline of record that helps people in different disciplines do this work. But it's gotten far more exciting as we've gotten 
farther into the work because now we're really talking about what does my syllabus communicate to students about what I think is important and what I want them to feel when they're in my classroom space. So it's a year long project and we'll, we'll, it'll culminate with some, um, some presentations, some opportunities for the participants to share out. But I, and I, I hope that it serves as um, a model for how to bring new opportunities into your space um, and how to build a community. We keep using the, the word community, but I think sometimes we're so intent upon building community for our students that we forget to build community for ourselves as well. And when you do this kind of work and you come from these different spaces and you come from these different identities, whether it's your gender identity or your ethnic identity or whatever it is, and we forget that if we don't move into those community spaces with people who are not like us and have conversations, how could we possibly expect our students to be doing those same things? So that's been really exciting. And I think, you know, Jabi and Shante have been wonderful participants. And so maybe they can tell you a little bit more about what it feels like for them. But for me, facilitating anything with Sean is exciting. But um, really, I think it's going great. I feel like we're all facilitators. We're kind of the ones that put like the Zoom invitations out there. <laughs> but really, when we get there, we're as much participating in it as as they are. I'll share. So my experience, obviously, I like I've mentioned a few times, I'm new to teaching. Like I've done guest lectures, workshops, but it's nothing like um, being, it's a lot of responsibility, I think, to like go in and be like, okay, so here's your course outline. No one teaches you how to teach that. Like no one's ever sat down and was like, all right, so this is how you build a syllabus. And so I think that that especially is the piece that really stands out to me because the way I built my syllabus was just all that I knew. It was very boring. Like, and I, I will own that. It was very just like, you know, it was not what I do in my classroom. It was, it was just like this piece of paper that lists the assignments and, you know, gave the, you know, the requirements and, and things like that. But it wasn't like something that really spoke to the type of teacher, like the type of teaching that I do. And so that's the, when we moved to the syllabus part, I was just like, oh my gosh, my syllabus is horrible. And so I've done, it really, it really was, I mean, not the, it was bad. It was pretty bad. And I'll own that. Um, but then again, you know, especially going through higher education, like there's not a focus on syllabus and what that means. And that, you know, this is literally showing your students what you're going to be doing, but it's more than that. It's, you know. It's, it's the start of a relationship. You know, it's the first thing you go in, uh, go over in class. And so I didn't have as much of a heavy focus on my syllabus as I did my assignments and like my projects, which is all really great stuff. Um, but the syllabus is like the thing that you return to. So that's the piece that has really stood out to me um, in this whole, and of course, learned a lot of things, especially being a new instructor of just how to do this thing sometimes you know you really feel like you're winging it half the time where you're just like all right this is what I would want as a student and this is how you know these are my experiences and so I'm just gonna put that out there and it's worked I think it, I think it's worked for my students um because I've been able to build that relationship of like you know I was a student just not that long ago <laughs> you know? like and I will always center I'm gonna be a student again pretty soon going to a PhD program so I will always like center that in my classrooms and and remind like check I always tell myself Shantae check yourself like you are no better than anybody in your classroom you may know the content but they also have the experiences of what you're talking about and so I do a constant 
like just reflection. Um, I think that really helps center my, my teaching when you kind of get caught up in like, you know, office hours and like all of these like institutional, it can feel like institutional restraints sometimes where you're, especially being an associate faculty, you know, it feels like a lot of pressure. You, you're wanting to keep up and you're wanting to like do what you have to do to continue to, you know, get classes and things like that. But I just always have to check myself of like, you're doing this for the students. Like, this is not about you. <laughs> you're doing this for the students enrolling in your courses. So I really kind of, you know, being in the cultural curriculum collective and going through that process is a self-reflective process for me. Um, even though it's very early on in my teaching, I think it's really allowed me to do a lot of inner like work of like, I always say I'm checking myself, like check yourself and what you're doing and remind yourself why you're, you know, why you wanted to come into this type of profession. Shantae, I've, I've been fortunate enough to observe your class. So if you don't know what you're doing and you're winging it, then none of us know what we're doing and you should just continue to wing it because your class was dope and you, oh, you. you were connecting with your students and you seem very prepared and like you knew what you're doing. You seem like you're, you've been doing this for, you know, five to 10 years instead of it being your, you know, second semester or whatever it is. So, and I've been also fortunate to have those conversations with you about building courses and things like that. So, yeah. And Jabi, did you want to add to that with the collective yeah, experience? Of course. I mean, first of all, it, it's weird because I'm about to approach my 10th year of teaching and I feel like I just started yesterday. But I know that I said a lot of things in my first year of teaching that Shantae just said. And I, I first want to say to you, Shantae, reflecting on your teaching practices will be the most important thing you do as an educator. And so continue to do it. And that's why I joined um, what I like to affectionately call the C cubed because there's, so, there's already a three C, right? Um, and that idea of like getting to be in a space where I am able to reflect on my practices has served me so much more as an educator. Um, and in including on top of that, not only reflecting, but being able to have conversations like this with other colleagues, with students present has been so beneficial to everything that I do in the classroom. Um, it's been beneficial to me doing in my 10th year, what you're doing right now is winging it. Cause some of my best lessons came from when I winged it, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm just gonna wing this one and see what happens. And then it, and then it comes, it's it finished and you're like, all right, well now I gotta go write this in a lesson plan, right? Um, that, that is so important. To, to who we are as educators. And I think that's what the Cultural Curriculum Collective does. It gives me that opportunity to reflect on my practices, on, on what is working and what is not working. And I think the last, you know, I think since my third year, so seven years of, of my teaching has been spent in fellowships and in programs where I'm reflecting on my practices. And I, I joined this as an opportunity to do that again as a college professor, as a full-time faculty member on the tenure track. This is my second year now, which feels like so much more than my second year because of the pandemic and everything. I'm like, wait, have I, I feel like I've been here longer and it hasn't been that long. Um, but getting that moment to reflect on what I do here at Metacosta has been so important to me. And um, I'm a, a big promoter of culture in the classroom. It's the foundation of my pedagogy 
giving students the opportunity to explore not only their involuntary cultures, but their voluntary cultures, giving students the opportunity to look at self-image, self-identity, uh, self and self-discovery in order to see where they fit into academics. Because in K-12, they don't get a chance to do that. Students don't get a chance to explore who they are. So more often than not, they are told to be a specific way, right? And so choice doesn't exist. Opportunities like Mana named early don't exist. You have to do what you're told or else. And I was a student who that happened to a lot. Um, I was an honor student. I did a tremendous amount of work. I went to governor's school, but I was often placed as one of the bad kids because I, I spoke up too much, because I sat in the back, because I wanted to redefine what sitting in the back meant. Right, like it doesn't mean that I don't have to sit in the front and raise my hand. I can sit in my back, lean in my chair and raise my hand if I want to, right? And so exploring my classroom in that way through this collective matters to me. And hearing conversations about what my colleagues are doing in their spaces informs how I engage with students in my space. And so I, I feel that like uh, that reciprocal feeling of being able to give and receive in this space is so important to us as educators, um, especially when you come from the K through 12 world where so often teachers teach with their doors closed. No one's allowed into this space. You can't come in here, I'm doing my thing, don't ask me questions about what I do, and stay in your room. And I, I think as a K through 12 teacher, redefine that. My door is always open. Even now, you want to come to my Zoom space? Ask me. I, I want you there. Come see what we're doing. I, I love to be observed by others because in the K-12 world, they, they often mark you by what you're doing. You get evaluated. And so many times in my career, I had um, assistant principals or vice principals or main principals to say, oh, I'm going to come by and watch your classroom. And I prepared my best lesson, like the best thing I got in the bag, got my students all ready. And they never showed up, never showed up, didn't give me an apology or nothing. I'm like, man, I just did all this work. And well, at least my students learned, but I really wanted you to see what I did so that you can, you know, let me know that I'm doing the right thing. And so I think that this gives us that space where you know that you're headed in the right direction, where so often you're either winging it or you're taking a risk and, and you're not sure of what way it will go. And you need another set of eyes or another voice to tell you, yes, yes, keep doing things like that. I think, too, I said earlier, we're hoping to come up with some examples of how to do this deep dive and how to do this work that we can share with our colleagues. Because if we think of our students, Mana could be in Jabi's English class, in Shantae's sociology class, and Humgari's biology class, all at the same time. And so the students might be getting this really dynamic experience in one class, and then they're going to another class. And not only is the content a stark contrast, but the lived experience is a stark contrast. And I think that if we engage in this work and we do a good job of educating ourselves and encouraging our colleagues to bring more of the students' culture and life experience and, and the richness that, 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 that they bring, into the space, there will be less disparity. All of the classes will be fun to go to, regardless of what you know your level of experience or interest in is in the content, because our students are on the GE track, right? They're taking these classes, not because they were like, oh, I'm so inspired to take English 100. No, they have to take English 100. But if they can take all their classes and at least know that their identities will be valued, that there'll be opportunities in the classroom, at least one, if not consistently, to like be the eye and do the thing and whatever, that maybe if that's the common thread that we can weave into our institution, 
it will transform a student's experience and enhance it in a, a really invaluable way. So to me, that's what the collective is about is getting unlike discipline specific faculty together to find a commonality, to practice our craft, to have conversations, and then to give it out to other people and help them do those things so that we can all look at our, our college and be really proud of, of what we do and how hard we work at this. And, and Javi said it, Shantae said it, Sean said it, Curry, I'm sure would say, we would all say like, the second you stop trying hard to be a good teacher and the second you stop evaluating what you're doing and how impactful it is, is the second you should stop teaching because our students need us to do this self-reflective work so that they can have their best experience and move forward. And I think it's also about meeting the needs of those disproportionately impacted students or those who've been traditionally unsuccessful, because if they can find themselves, their journeys will be better and so far enhanced and they will go farther and do more things or, or even find their voices sooner. To me, education is about that, right? About confidence. There's another C word about really finding yourself and, and wanting to speak up sooner. I hear so many people say like, when I got to grad school, that's where I really like kicked it in and I just felt good about myself and I moved forward. And I'm like, wait, how come you didn't do that in, in high school or in community college or in your first four-year university? Like, what was it about that experience that didn't make you feel confident enough to be this like evolved human that wanted to go out and like, you know, do this stuff. So I think that this work, this deep dive, this cultural Curriculum Collective is an, an effort to help the students start their journey of confidence sooner rather than later and really, you know, see themselves in their in their journey at Miracosta. So while you guys were talking, a question came up and I'm wondering, how do you guys evaluate the outcome or the impact that it has on students? Um, do you like talk to students? Do you have them like on your committees? Because I've been hearing like a lot of conversation about like how faculty are collaborating and they're engaging in conversations to kind of improve the overall quality of the student experience. Um, but I was just like wondering, how do you like hear our feedback and how do you incorporate like our voices into what you're doing? For me, one of the things Angela brought up was the idea that our, our core, our, our course records are often these very like um, institutional driven documents, right? And so we have our student learner outcomes, the outcomes that we want students to learn when they complete our course. And so what I've done in my course this year, the way I've redesigned it was to create a space where students are actually reflecting on how they utilize that outcome in the work that they did for my course, right? And so they're looking back on units and they're reflecting on the work that they did for that unit and how it represents what they did for the outcomes. And when I initially like thought, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna put it in there as a quiz because I don't really give quizzes, but it's named a quiz because you can't name anything else. Um, they, I thought like, oh, you know, I'll get some pretty, pretty decent answers. Like, hey, I did this, but like what my students ended up creating was like, phenomenal and they're they're really unpacking how they believe they've engaged with this student learner outcome and naming specific evidence from the work they did previously and so i i do a lot of mini conferences in my my zoom sessions and i talk with students as often as i can i try to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them as often as i can in a semester so uh, so i'm getting that personal feedback from them as well which is also fine-tuning the way I design the course for future students because that's really what I, I want to get from their feedback. How can I make sure that the next student 
doesn't have to um, leap through so many hoops to get to the space that you're in, right? And getting that feedback is tremendous toward creating a space where I think students do feel confident about their work. And I think that's really important in English because so many students have negative feelings about English classes, um, whether that's from a previous teacher, because it's their second language, because you know they just don't feel they're a good writer, because they don't read as fast as everyone else. There's so many negative um, emotions attached to an English course, but being able to look back and say, yeah, I did do this thing, and I'm confident I have the ability to do that for the foreseeable future, makes way for the promise that I give to all of my students that I want in my course for you to learn everything you'll need to know to be successful in an English course from this moment forward. And so now they can say, yes, I can do this. And this is how I know this essay right here, this comment right here, this discussion board and the conversation I had with this student earlier. And that feels really great because now I know that they're learning. And so like, I think I knew it before, but this is a less institutionally driven way of knowing that they know. I think too, for me, um, especially again, just starting out teaching, um, the the course outlines do feel very much for the institution. Like this is so that we can get this approved. And of course there's like the in, institutional workings that happen and it's, you know, for a reason, but I always center, you know, we go over the syllabus and things like that, but I also give my students a space to say, what do you want to learn? You know, like you enrolled in this social one, you enrolled in this black studies course, why did you enroll? And what types of things are you hoping to get out of this? Because that may not be reflected in the course outlines. I don't think students write those course outlines. You know, I don't know that there's students involved in that process. And so, you know, I kind of include my, I worked in the counseling department for a few years. And so I would have so many students come in like, I enrolled in this course because I thought it was going to be about X, Y, and Z. And that's not what I'm getting. And so I like to make sure, and I do constant, like I do a mid-semester check-in. I almost do a check-in like every other week of like, you know, all right. So I, I heard that like this week, my students were very, um, in my Black Studies class, very interested in talking about like Afro-Caribbean. Like how, how does that come about? What, what is, and that's not necessarily written in what I have designed, you know? And so we talked about it a little bit and I'm like, you know what, when we come back from spring break, we're going to revisit. We're going to make sure that we we talk about this specific topic, build upon it, um, and and we do like mid semester check ins every once in a while through the semester. I think I'm going to send mine out after spring break, just to kind of say like, how's the course going for you? What have you felt like you're learning? How can I support? You know, if you're not, if you are, and and that I don't say that to say, how can I support your writing? Or like, how can I? I get students that are like. You know, I, I ended up connecting them to services through that too. So it serves as like this, you know, I do it in a survey form because I honestly didn't think about doing it in Canvas. I just thought of Google Forms. <laughs> but, you know, I do it in that type of format where I'm just letting, you know, checking in, like, how is the course going? How are you feeling about your project? Because I'm project-based in my finals. I don't necessarily, I don't give exams. You know, I, I give a final and a presentation. That's that's kind of their exam. And so just constantly checking of like they're working towards that. That is their end game. That's their goal. And that really kind of sums up what they've learned. Like when you successfully get to like these check marks in your in your presentation or in your final project, we've met those student or learning outcomes that you created and the ones that we've discussed as a class. And so it's a constant, it seems, it's a lot of work for me, 
but all because I'm having to constantly rethink and constantly like, you know, we were supposed to move on to talking about this, but that's fine. We're going to scratch that. If it doesn't make it in, that was my topic. You know, that wasn't something that you as a student expected or wanted to get out of this class. So it is a lot of like shifting and checking in with the students for me, um, which I find really brings them to the table and really brings them to express. And like, you know, I really enjoyed this reading, but it was a little dense. Like it was a little went over my head. I feel like it was too long, you know? And so I get students who are giving me that feedback, which can seem tough to get, but that's just the type of style that I have. It's like, I want you to tell me, like, I hated reading C. Wright Mills. <laughs> you know, I, I did not like reading Karl Marx necessarily. And so, but I was never given that space to say, is there another reading we can do <laughs> that, that, that talks about this, but in a way that I can actually like, understand at my level and relate to at my level. I was just going to say, Mana, you, you asked, how do you, how do we get student feedback? And I think that uh, if this is a hard topic for me because we don't get it enough. When we ask for it outside of our classrooms, we don't compensate our students for it. I think that um, as educators, we do a lot of talking about what we think is good for students, what we think is going to help them learn, what we think is going to inform their experience. And we talk a lot and a lot and a lot. And then we talk some more and we hardly we try, but we hardly ever actually ask students <laughs> what it is they want to learn and how. And, and I think as an institution, we make space. So, for example, there's a seat on the courses and programs committee for a student. I think that's how we first met. Mana, didn't you come to a couple meetings? Yeah. So there's a space, but it's a really effed up committee for a student to try and be on because it's fucking hard. It's like you come in and then teachers are using these words and they're talking about documents. You probably don't know that what they are or where they are. It's and like the it, DMV of higher education. It is the DMV of higher education. You get in there and you're like, I should go. I need to do this. There's probably something of value there. But then you get there and you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. And so to me, like I hear, I hear Shantae and I hear Jabi and I do very similar things in my classroom. So individual faculty work really hard to engage student voices and to like get feedback. But if we like, you know, draw out to different levels of institutional experience, how hard we work and how effective we are at getting student voices involved gets less and less specific and less and less effective. And that's a problem we need to solve. And we really need to find a way as an institution to empower our students to talk about their experience at our college, their needs in their journey from an authentic individualized student experience. Shantaya said a couple of times, I wasn't a student that long ago. I draw from my experience. I think all good teachers do. We think about who we were when we were students and what we liked and what we didn't like. I think it's the same thing as parents. We're like, when well, I'm a parent, I'm going to, but honestly, the farther away we get from that experience, the less and less specific our, our contributions are. And our students are changing and their lives are different and their, their family and social pressures and the socioeconomic climate and the the social justice climate like all these things are happening and and we're not asking them we're still deciding what we think is good for them so I don't know how we solve this problem but it is a hard one for me because it's something I care about and something I wish we did better and spent more time on um, we often look to ASG and we ask for volunteers 
Um, and that's good because these are active students who want to engage in their educational experience in a different way. But what about the students that aren't on an ASG and they're congregating in the quad or they're in the lunchroom together and they have opinions too. <laughs> and if we could find better ways to engage them, I think it could only enhance what we do because they have things to say. We just don't have always the right platforms for them to say them. And if they have even one bad experience, I have a student that started in the adult high school. She transitioned to Miracosta. She was in the sciences. And when all the Black Lives Matter stuff started happening and all these things, I reached out to her and she said, I said, we need you. You have such a strong voice and you're such a great contributor and you have such a broad perspective having been so many different in so many different programs at Miracosta. And she was like, nope, I don't want to. I tried that once and it didn't go well for me. And I was like, it bummed me out. It like broke my heart. And it made me think like, we don't even know when that's happening because, or sometimes we know because people are very vocal about it. And other times we just break these opportunities and they just go by the wayside. So um, I think student voices are, are not just important in the classroom. It was a really long-winded way of me saying classroom is super valuable, but outside of the classroom, we have to do more. We have to get more student voices involved in what we do at the college. I agree with you, Angela, with all of that. And I like how you went, like you said, effed up, and then you followed that up with fucking hard. So I think you gave yourself some allowance there. That was nice. Is that, uh, was that like one and a half points or just? Yeah, that you, 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 all the points are fake. So you can have a thousand points. That's what I tell my students too, by the way. So <laughs> I, I think like with this conversation and especially with Mana's great question, I, I really appreciate that question. And I appreciate where Javi and Angela and Shante went with their answers. Cause I went to the boring place immediately and I went to data and these are not student voices. These are measurable outcomes, right? And we started the cultural curriculum collective in our first area of exploration was data and, and how we can see um, course level, program level, and institutional level um, retention and success data in our own classes, right? And then compare that to our department, compare that to the whole campus and disaggregated by race and ethnicity. And I think that's an important thing to look at, you know, so we can see, you know, if the equity gaps that exist at the institutional level, if, if that is mirrored in our courses, and, and then we kind of have more direction and specific populations and students that we can focus on from there. But again, those, those are not student voices, that's data. And, and behind all of those, there's, uh, there's stories, right? And lives. And I think of how we define success. We define success as A, B, C, or P passing, right? And we define retention as did you keep them after the W drop date? When a student drops out before or after the drop date, when a student gets a C, that tells me nothing, you know? There's a story behind that C. That, that, that could have been, you know, their grandmother died of COVID. That, that could have been, you know, they, they had to drive their sibling to work prior to attending our Zoom session, or they had to do the Zoom session on their phone while they're on their break at work. An A might mean they just really personally connected with that instructor. It could have been an A in a subject they don't feel strong in, but they were like, I, I feel comfortable here. You know, and, and that's, I think that's all kind of like what we're trying to achieve is more of those type of experiences, but not necessarily more A's, right? I don't know if that's ever the goal. And grades are, you know, such a, that, that, that could be a whole other podcast, obviously. 
So I, I think about that because Angela, you know, with this course outline of record and how Javi mentioned that it is this kind of static, it is not dynamic, it is a static uh, institutional document. You know, when you're in courses and programs, there's you have a lot of responsibility for facilitating the guidance of how faculty go about this document, right? And it's very touchy because there's there people have you know very strong ownership and very strong feelings around ownership for their disciplines. How are is your committee and you as chair trying to um, incorporate more equitable? practices in the language of these documents and maybe even in the process of creating these documents um, since you know we don't want it to be so fucking boring you know and we don't want it to be so fucking static like we want it to be something more than that um, and I know that you are working on that in some ways yeah I mean we have been working on this for a while now it um, I, a couple years ago um, the academic senate had a goal of equity, inclusion, diversity um, for all of the committees of the college. And we have struggled at courses and programs with this. And, and I'll tell you why. When we look around at our sister colleges, um, different colleges are taking different approaches. So for example, Peralta College has a rubric that they created and that they provide. And it's both um, an equity and a distance education rubric like kind of combined. And when I brought that sample to my committee and I said, what do we want to do? Not like, here's a rubric, let's adopt it. It was more like, here's, here's an example of something that someone at another college, that some people at other colleges have decided to do. What do we want to do? And the, the conversations that we had were very, people are scared of telling other people what to do. And I think that's good because I think that you have to preserve the integrity of discipline expertise. And, um, and so the course outline of record is one of those things where we've had a lot of college conversations about how to provide our colleagues with examples of more equitable language or to provide them with opportunities to see how they might shift or change or enhance the language of the course outline of record but it, we have been very resistant to telling anybody what to do and to creating a document that we live and die by. And so it's been a challenge because if you've ever seen, Mona, I don't know if you've ever even actually looked at a course outline of record. It's a funny document because really it's like when you're hired at a college to teach, they give you this piece of paper that tells you it's written in, in an outline format with Roman numerals. So it tells you first a description of the course, the title and the description. Then it's just an outline of the topics that the teacher has to teach. Then at the bottom, it says in-class assignments may include, but are not limited to. And it gives some samples like you should do essays and you should do this and you should do that. And then it has some sample um, methods of assessment. You might give quizzes and you might do this. And so when we when we're searching for ways to um, enhance the equitable language of that document, sometimes we fall short because it doesn't, it's just a list of ingredients. It's not the cake that you're going to bake or the recipe that you're going to, you know, when you take that piece of paper to your classroom, you add the spice. And so you still use the ingredients they told you needed to go in there in the beginning, but you can add those Afro-Caribbean, you know, lectures and you can do the thing and so I, I don't know, it, it puts us in a weird space. I think we should never stop having conversations about how that document should serve the teacher 
my goal has been to improve the equitable language in there so that people are encouraged to open their minds to other opportunities for teaching their content. So it doesn't say you must do this, you must do that, but it gives them examples of things that might enhance the student experience. And so that's kind of where we're at. But again, I think that I, I'm a, I love curriculum. I love seeing new courses written. I love when people come to the committee and say, you know, Job B resurrected our African-American literature class. And it was, that's so exciting for students. So I like seeing new content come, but there is a little bit of a challenge between what's new and what's responsive and where are we going to go and what exists. And we have to change that too. We have to be thinking about the courses that have been at our college for a long time and enhance them. But more than that, how do we empower teachers to do some different, different things than they've done? There are definitely some disciplines out there that the textbooks are old, the pedagogical, the teaching strategies that go into teaching it are old or outdated. And how do we break that? How do we, as a courses and programs committee, invite people to think about different ways to approach the content? So we're trying, we're going to offer some professional development, but again, it makes me think about having a student voice at that committee would be great. It's just a challenge. Like it's so much to learn in a short amount of time. We've never had the same student representative for more than one school year. And even as faculty, we don't serve on committees for one year because it's too quick. So it really is like one of those things where it would be nice if we could get our hands on a student for a longer period of time to really make a big contribution and, and talk about those things. But it's just, it's really hard. Not that we'll stop doing it. It's just really hard. I just really like when you brought up not having any compensation. Uh, we actually brought this up. I actually discussed this with uh, some of my advisors and we we actually talked about this as well, that our, our time in the ASG and just in Miracosa in general, it's very short. So we just want to find ways to kind of have students um, serve on committees longer because we talked about how, you know, it's good to have experience, you know, you're familiar with the language and everything. And I think if we can find, you know, creative ways to kind of compensate students to maybe through maybe work study or hiring them as like an employee for Miracosa, so that would help. And that would kind of encourage them to kind of be like, hey, I'm going to serve on this committee, but I'm going to be, I'm going to get paid as well. So, you know, it's like a win-win situation. I can learn something, I can contribute, but at the same time, I can make some extra money while I'm getting my education. So I really like that idea. And I hope that maybe the future ASG or other committees on campus can kind of work together to make that happen. But I really appreciate the transparency. And we want to thank you for your time, members of the Cultural Curriculum Collective, but not just that, you are so much more at our campus. Another C word. The, I, I wrote down all the C words. I have them all down. Me too, uh, me too. Yeah. And so um, I, I wrote down one that, I wrote down a word like word association for each person in the room right now of like what I think about when I think of them. And it starts with a C. Did you think of curry when you thought of me? So first we have Shantae, I think of climbing. Uh, Jabi, I think of comic books. Angela, I think committed. Mana, courageous. Kelly, contribution. James, curious. Me, co-host. <laughs> and thanks for ruining the damn punchline. Curry, I thought of curry, okay? Wait, just sit, and uh, Kelly can edit out what I said earlier. No, we're leaving it, <laughs> because that's the way we do things, Curry. 
Well, if I can step on your joke, I'm I'm there every time. <laughs> you know what? Come on. That could be my story. <laughs> but I think this conversation was cathartic. Oh. Oh, hey. Now it's spring break, so we can chill. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I promise. Okay. Okay. My kids would be like, Dad, with the jokes. That's enough. Dad, you're so corny. <laughs> Wow. Yes. I don't think they know the word corny. I think that's out of fashion, but maybe it'll return to the culture. Okay. I'm done. I'm sorry. Right on. Well, thanks everybody. Always, always awesome conversation hanging out with you for sure. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Students and faculty engage topics. Dangerous discussions need a safe space. This episode is supported by the Miracosa Foundation's Innovation Grant. The Safe Topics podcast is produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia handles promotion, student recruitment, and research. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and safetopics.podbean.com. Find us on Apple and Spotify. Please rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>